Father, we just thank you for your grace, your mercy. Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on our minds that we might understand, that we would gain insight, Lord God, that will change our lives. In Yeshua's holy, holy name. Amen. Well, we've been working through the book of Hebrews, and our goal is to go through the book of Hebrews over the weeks and take breaks when certain things come up, maybe special high holy days like Yom Kippur. When that comes, we obviously will dedicate the service to the Day of Atonement, um, and if we have a guest speakers and those sort of things. And we made it to Hebrews 6 to what people call the foundational doctrines, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, um, doctrines of baptism, laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. And we took a stop there. We got off the bus at that point and took our little picnic baskets and went down the trail of foundations to get a sense of what foundations are all about. And we've made it to the last foundation, which is the doctrine of eternal judgment. And so I want to address that a little bit. Uh, It's a a huge topic. I could spend easily uh, weeks just talking about that, about eternal judgment, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to whet the appetite uh, because, you know, as I was digging through this, praying over it, looking at it, bringing up old notes, looking at scriptures, and I was like, man, I got excited about it because I saw all the different aspects and some new ideas and things of that nature, and I just say, well, Lord, what is it that I really need to get across from what we're, where we are today and what we're doing? And so I want to start there. You know, what I want you to walk away with today, what understanding, and it's a simple thing. It's just a couple of points. One, that there is a resurrection. There is life after this life. Two, after the resurrection, you will be judged. You must give account of your life on this earth. Three, you'll be judged based on the things you did in the body, that is, in this life given to you. Four, that those who are found wicked will enter into everlasting torment and judgment. Five, those found righteous will enter into life eternal. Six, God's judgment is complete and thorough. He cannot be bribed and no stone will be left unturned. Every closet will be looked into, even the attic and the basement and the shed in the backyard. And the trunk of your car, if you have to do as well. Seven, all liars, fornicators, murderers, and a long list that we'll get into more later of their various sins shall not be allowed into God's kingdom. And eight, best one of all, if you put your confidence in the death, atonement, and resurrection of Yeshua, you will have eternal life. Not only at the judgment, but you can experience it now. If you will walk away with those things, then I will feel content that I have done what needs to be done today. That if you will have that that sense of understanding, not just here, but that it impacts you in the deep part of who you are. The deep part. You know, we say in our heart, some people say in your kidneys. That's, they used to think that's what the seat of everything was, was in your kidneys at one time. People have had different parts of the body. Some people just say, in your gut. We would say, in your heart, the heart being the most inner part of you, that that's where, when it's there, it governs and affects everything you do in your life and how you make decisions. So, so let's get started. Thank you, Father. Doctrine of eternal judgment, Hebrews 6. The uh, doctrine didache uh, means teaching, instruction. Um, external carries the idea of being 
age-long, unending, everlasting, not something that's not temporary and fleeting. And it's an interesting word because it doesn't just mean time. It has a quality of the, it has a dimension of the quality of that time. So when it thinks of something being eternal, it's not just, it's just a long, long time, but it has the quality of he who is eternal, which is God. So when you think about everlasting life, eternal life, it's not just saying, oh, so you will live a long, long time. Because let's face it, how would, if depending on your situation in life and what you're dealing with, you may not want a long life. If you're in hell and things are bad and things are rough down here right now and nothing's working out and somebody came to you and said, hey, I got good news for you. You said, what is that? You get to do this for the rest of your life. You get everlasting life. Well, that's not everlasting life. Everlasting life is not just living a very long time. When it speaks of eternal life, it means the quality of that life is the life of God. When you have that life, now you have that which is eternal because God is forever and you have the quality of that. So it's this very strange Greek word that they use that, that you know, we have, you know, sometimes when we come from Greek and Hebrew into English, we just have a hard time finding that word that really captures what those things are saying. Well, that's one of those words. And the best way we can translate is just say everlasting, eternal. But it carries more than time. It's beyond time. It, it, it incorporates time. But it's not just about time. It's about the quality of that life that you have. Just keep that in mind. And then the word for judgment, we kind of understand that it's the idea of judging, a verdict being brought against you. You're sitting in before a judge, and the judge brings down a judgment, a verdict. He's made a decision about your situation, usually dealing with uh, you being brought up on crimes that you have committed, and now they're judging that, and they say, come in, and say, okay, and all rise, and the judge comes back in, and and then we're just waiting on edge. Does he say guilty or not guilty? And if he says, if he says uh, guilty, then he goes on and says, and the punishment will be. And he starts to lay out what the punishment is. Well, that's what it means by judgment here. And being that it's tied to eternal judgment, it's talking about a judgment for all eternity. This is what a lot of people view as the final judgment. There'll be no more judgments after that judgment. This is it. This is the highest court that you can go to. There's nothing to appeal to. There's no one else you can run through. There's another nation, another God. You can say, well, I didn't like the decision that was made here. When this decision is made at that time, in that place, in that space, that will be for all, 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 no no more, that's it. You cannot get out of the decision that's been made. And that's important to know. I mean, in our court system, you can start in the lower court and you keep appealing, even in our country. You know, you appeal, 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 and you go all the way up to the Supreme Court. But once the Supreme Court says, boom, unless you can get them to hear the case again, and most of the time they will not do that. They have to have a reason for that as well. We know we've been trying to get certain Supreme Court's decision rethought of for years now. Certain things, Roe versus Wade and all that, ain't happened yet. You got to have a case to bring it to re-examine. You just can't, hey, we want to rethink that thing since we got new justices on. No, it doesn't work that way. Well, in the case with God, when it comes, when that final judgment, there's no appeal court. That's it. That's important to know, to understand that. Um, we start with thinking about resurrection. We talked about that last time. That, that, that resurrection, you know, in Judaism and traditional Judaism, if you don't believe in the resurrection, they say you don't have a, you, you, won't, you won't be in the life to come. The very, you, you will be judged and found guilty. Believing in the resurrection was central to, to uh, Orthodox or traditional Judaism. Now, Reconstruction and reform, they've they gone a whole new route and they don't really believe in the resurrection of the body, which is what the scriptures talk about. One of the things I wanted to show you is that the resurrection is about the body. It is not about you dying and then you become a ghost and, oh, he's been resurrected. No, that's not resurrection. Resurrection is of the body that, that you have. That's why in in traditional Christianity and in traditional Judaism, the body was always seen as very special. A dead body was handled 
with care. You didn't just throw it in the backyard. You didn't say, I'll just throw the corpse in the backyard, feed it to the dogs, it doesn't matter. No, you were very careful how you took care of that. This is why, and a lot of people don't understand this because they've watched too many horror flicks. And so they see all the, you know, in horror flicks, they're going to have a cemetery with the, all the crosses and, and other things and all that for all the things people put up. And, and it's always a place for some creature to come out and eat you or do something to you. And so if you ever go in a, in a small town or south or other place where you find these little country churches that still have cemeteries all around the church. They have a little path right up there. You see all these grave plots. Some people get weirded out. Like Chris was looking at it already. Going, I don't know about this and everything. But see, you have to understand the idea that came in ancient thinking of the people. They understood that there was a promise of the resurrection of the body, of their loved ones that were put in the ground that they referred to because it looks like when you look at a body, it looks like it's sleep. So they use a euphemism that the person's sleeping, remaining the body's dead. There's no one there, which no one isn't there. And there's the body. But they understood that that body was precious to God, and at the blowing of the last shofar, at the sound of Yeshua's voice, that that body will be raised out of the ground and transformed into a body that can never die again. It will be like Yeshua's resurrected body. And so when they saw, when they saw the cemetery all around, they didn't go, Ooh. they went, there's grandma, there's great grandma, and I will see them on the day of the resurrection. They will be raised up. This is, this is a seed that's been planted in the ground. We have hope that they will not perish. God watches over those who sleep in the dust of the earth. He remembers them, and he knows how to bring them back up. We don't necessarily know how. Well, what happens after it decays and it falls all apart? And we try to get very scientific and figure it out. We can't figure it out. God knows where those elements went to. He knows exactly. He knows how to grab the seed of that element and bring out from that seed a resurrected body that will never die again. Yeshua himself said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought he was talking about the temple that was made of the hands of men. And the scriptures very clearly teach us he was not referring to the physical temple. He was referring to the temple of his body. It is his body that's raised up. And this is important to understand that, because if you don't understand that, then you've missed the whole point of the gospel. You're teaching some other gospel if you're saying, oh, no, well, you know, the body, it dissolved into gases. I was talking to one group that considers themselves Christian, but they're not. And, and they have all kind of false teachings. And some of you may have run into them. They have a watchtower type of thing they like to bring to the door and give to you. And, and, and they say, well, you know, when Jesus died, you know, because when you die, you cease to exist. That's what they teach. You cease to exist. And they go cherry pick some scriptures where it says in Ecclesiastes that the dead know nothing. See, so when you die, that's it. You cease to exist because the dead know nothing. I said, do you understand the context of the book of Ecclesiastes? It says, I am only talking to you about things under the sun. I'm not talking about what happens on the other side. I'm only telling you what I see in this rim. And on this rim, when people die, they look like they're asleep. How many have seen a body in the casket? Does it, does, does it like, that person looks asleep. I know when I was a little kid and went to my first funeral and of one of my family members, and I'm looking, I was so wanting to go up and just shake them. Get up. They're sleeping. Why do they put them in that funny thing and let them sleep up there? Why aren't they at home sleeping? Why are they, I mean, these are the kind of thoughts run through your head as a kid. Because we see that in the natural, like, the person looks like it's asleep. But even the writer of, of, of the book of Ecclesiastes starts to give hint that there's something more than that. It's interesting. Let's look at a couple. In Ecclesiastes 11.9, 11.9, it's interesting that one of the things that he talks about, you know, and the, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, we know who that was, was, Solomon, and he had a lot of money, very rich. He was probably richer than, than what we would consider somebody like Bill Gates today, who's very, very rich, uh, can pretty much do whatever he wants to do, go where he wants to go. Well, Solomon could do that too. And he, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he basically is telling his, his little personal story. Man, I tried everything. Let's sum it up in a nutshell. I tried everything. Knowledge, 
Whatever entertainment there was today, we know he messed around with a lot of women. I know that shocks people, but yeah, he did. He tried everything that was available to him. He even went and tried, tried different rituals with different gods and all these crazy. Solomon was out there. I mean, he just did some crazy stuff. But he was trying to understand the world. He knew there was one God, but he knew these people were trying this over there. Well, what do y'all do? You smoke this and you jump. And, that didn't do anything for me. I studied. I drank. I did everything I could. And he says, you know what? After a while, he says, life is just futile. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. He says, whether you're rich or poor, you all end up in the same place, in the ground. And that's where he gets the statement. He says, look, Lord, the dead know nothing. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They have no sense of anything. When they're dead, they're dead, and they don't know anything. But he's speaking on this rim. But he had insight because in Ecclesiastes 11, as he's exhorting people about all these things, he says, we'll start at at verse, um, so Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, we'll start with. Rejoice, O man, in your youth. O young man, in your youth rejoice. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Huh? When will this take place? He's talking about a judgment. He says, hey, you go after what you want to go to, but know this. God will bring you into judgment for the things that you are doing. And so he says, therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. If Solomon believed that when you're dead, that's it, and there was nothing more, then why does it matter? Why does it matter? Really, think about it. If, if, if you die and that's it, there's nothing else. Really, why would you be worried about anything in the future. Just, hey, I'm just going to live for now. Do what I want to do. What makes me happy is all vain anyway. It won't lead to anything. It's all going to come to nothing. So I'm just going to have the time of my life and just enjoy the moment, and then I'll die. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And that's what, that's what gets led to by people who are atheistic. That's what they think. Well, there's nothing more. And some of them can't take life so much, they kill themselves. Some of the greatest poets who, who became atheists end up killing themselves because they're like, life is vain. There's no meaning to it. So why even writing poetry, even trying to better yourself, even trying to get a greater education, it means nothing because it all comes to an end. So you know what? I'm just going to speed up the process and just take my life out. But Solomon had a deeper insight. And that's why he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, listen what he says. Well, 13 was silent. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I've been spending all my money and time running around trying everything under the sun. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. When you die, that's not the end of it all. It says in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, it says, it's appointed to each man to die and then the judgment. Everybody will have to stand for God and give account of the life, the lives that you've had in this world, the life that you have. You're going to have to give account to God for it. He holds you accountable for the things you do in this life. This is important to understand. This is why the resurrection and eternal judgment are really tied closely together. If you remove one or the other, the other one doesn't make any sense. So they're tied together. You need a resurrection in order to be able to bring judgment. The other thing I said to you last time about the resurrection, resurrection is part of God's goodness and his righteousness and his integrity. Because if God didn't have a resurrection, he can't make right the wrongs that people had, and people truly can get away with doing wrong in his life. But I got news for you. Every person, no matter who they are, no matter how great they were, or whether or not they got away with something in this life, you may have gotten away with stealing that cookie out of the cookie jar when you were second to in, in the second grade, and nobody knows. God knows. God knows. He knows even your secret thoughts. 
He knows your motives. And God will shine his light on everyone's life and they will be held accountable for everything in this world, in this life. That should sober us. It should sober us, but that's important. You know, a lot of people don't like to hear what they call hell and damnation preachers. A lot of people got saved because of hell and damnation type of preaching. Because they woke up to the reality that they were not masters of their own universe and direction and going, but one day they must give account to a God who knows all and sees all. And with that, they say, you know what? I need to do what I can to get right with him because I know I'm messed up right now. And so they come, what, what are you offering salvation? <laughs> I'm coming. And the friends are going, oh, no, brother. Oh, no, 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 I can't play with y'all anymore. <laughs> I'm going over here because, you know, one day I'm going to have to give account. And by the way, you're going to have to give account too. So you better come with me. You know, compel them to come, it says. Go out into the byways and compel them to come into the kingdom. So we have a time now where we, we don't want to talk about hell and damnation and, and judgment. And all like that. That's old-fashioned stuff. We want to win people on some very intellectual or emotional high level to bring people in the kingdom. We want to have a seeker-friendly type of thing. We want to do something that just makes people feel good. But what happened to the days that we see in the Scripture? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your sins. Turn from your wicked ways, for God is going to judge every work. Well, brother, why you got to be so, you know, heavy and negative on it? No, that's actually mercy. I've said this always. It is merciful to warn people about the waterfall around the bend. Yes, you are disrupting their wonderful Sunday afternoon ride in the boat with their family, just kind of enjoying the waves. Oh, it's so beautiful. And you're going... And they're like, Tom, we're having such a good time. Why you got to be such a negative? We're enjoying this ride. And you come out here making it sound all bad and awful and everything. Come on, stop. Why don't you let us enjoy ourselves? Because I love you. And I'm telling you, if you don't stop and get off the ride that you're on, over you're going to go in the end of your life. And you're not going to like it. So it's actually merciful to warn people about the coming judgment of God. So there is a resurrection. And there is life. Yeshua made it very clear. Turn over to the Gospel of John. And the book of Daniel, I'll just throw that in as we're heading there. Daniel tells us that many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's Daniel 12, 2. But in John 5, 28, here's what we read. Yeshua says, first he talks about, let me go back to 26. For as the Father has, has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has, has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. He sure makes it very clear. He didn't say, I say to you now, for those of you who are standing around, you're going to be judged. And he said, no, no. He goes to the place that people are like, that's the end. Those who are in the grave, they will hear the voice of the Son of Man. And he will call forth, and they will come forth out of the graves to judgment. Some to the resurrection of life, eternal. Some to the resurrection of eternal judgment. Again, a judgment that goes on and on, but the character of it is speaking of the character of the nature of that judgment, which is not a place of happiness, but a place of torment. I know there's some people don't like that. Some people go, oh, I don't like that torment stuff. I just think God is too loving. He's a loving God. He would never let people be tormented forever and ever. That would not be right. 
That would not be right. I find it interesting because people are pulling on their heartstrings to come up with that conclusion. They're not letting the Scripture speak to them. Yeshua is speaking about, about eternal judgment, about the place called used figuratively of Gehenna, the everlasting fire, the lake of fire. He says that that place was made for the devil and his angels. And yet we're going to see there are others who are going to get thrown there. And we'll look at that later if I remember to come look closer at that. But let's move on. So there is a resurrection. There is life after this life. There is a, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to give account of yourselves. Matthew 12, 36, Yeshua says even that you must give account of every idle word that you speak. Every idle word that you speak, you must give account of it. We're like, wow, every idle word? Lord, that's, that's pretty heavy stuff there. Idle words? You mean the little stuff off on the side? Yes, he says you're going to have to give account to that. Because it says it's appointed for one man, and once for man to die, Hebrews 9, 27, and then they will face the judgment. I'm, I'm glad he says once. One person said it this way, life is not a rehearsal. You don't get to try it out, don't do so well in it, and God says, okay, it's just a rehearsal anyway. We're, we're going to practice the real thing tomorrow. So we're going to start you over as a baby. This is what reincarnation is teaching. So you just keep coming back and try it again and again and again and again until you get it right, and then you can get off the cycle of repeating it over and over again and go off into nirvana where you can enjoy the eternal bliss forever. But the Bible doesn't teach that. You get one shot at this thing. One shot. God gives you life. He said, this is it. One shot. One try. It's not a rehearsal. This is why preaching the gospel is so important. Because people only get one shot at this. Your friends, your family, everybody around you. You, don't have, you, can't, you can't resolve in your own heart, well, you know, God's merciful. Maybe he'll give them another chance at this after they die and give them another, another, another 30, 40 years to try it again. No. Your friends, your family, your loved ones, all will have to give account for this life and this life only. That's it. And Yeshua says, even the idle words you have to give account to. You will be judged based on the things you did in the body. We already read Ecclesiastes 11.9, for all these things God will bring into judgment. Ecclesiastes 12.14, every work and every secret thing will be judged. He says secret things. I mean, surely you could get away with the secret things, lamb. The secret things. You can hide the, the, the things. They can't find that. Stuff you can look around and lock the doors and pull down the shades and nobody knows about that. No, God even sees the secret things, even the secret things. This just sober us up. Matthew 12, 36, we already read that God, that, that Yeshua says every, every idle word would be judged. Luke 12, verses 2 to 3, said the things that are, oh, let me go to that one. Just got to read it. Luke 12, I'll start at the end of the cha- chapter. Luke 12, in the meantime, when all, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, wow, that must have been some sight, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetop. You won't get away with it. Yeah, maybe in this life you can get away with a lot of stuff, but in the world to come, you will have to give account of the stuff that you did undercover secretly, you know, planning the killing of people's lives, stealing of people's stuff. He said, you may not ever come to court in this life, but God's hands are not tied. He says he's resurrecting everybody. 
That's the thing to keep in mind. Sometimes Christians think that the resurrection is only for those who are righteous. No, everybody gets resurrected, whether they believe it or not. Your faith has nothing to do with whether or not you will be resurrected. You can deny that doctrine all your life, or you can believe it in all your life. It's not going to make any difference one way or the other. You will be raised. The biggest atheist will be raised. Hitler will be raised. And I have to give account of what he did. He will have to stand before God and give account. He did not get away with anything. God is a righteous judge. And he keeps track of everything. And he knows what you've done and what you have not done. And you will have to give an account. This is the doctrine of eternal judgment. This is what this is all about. And the resurrection of the dead. I love what it says in Corinthians let me get over there too. I think it's 1 Corinthians. Let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring light, bring to the light, he will bring to the light the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Other words, God not only judges what is external and what you do, but he judges according to your motive as well. And we may not know the motive of any person. Sometimes God may, by revelation, reveal things to us and warn us, but a lot of times we don't know the motive of why. I gave you this story about years ago. I told you a story early in the message way back that I was here at one time waiting, and I saw these two Boy Scouts dressed up, helping elderly lady across the street, carrying their stuff, getting them across through the traffic, getting them where they need to go. And I just sat and watched them. And I went, isn't that so nice? That's something you don't see much anymore. When I was growing up as a kid, they had, Boy Scouts were everywhere, and they were doing things like that, helping elderly ladies across the street and everything. And I thought, man, look at those two young men. That's wonderful. And I happened to go to a, a little restaurant that was nearby, and the two of them showed up in the booth next door. And I, I, I have to admit, I eavesdropped on their conversation. And they were back to just going on and on like two young guys doing. And they were talking about the, the day and how the people they help. And, and one of the guys was upset. He said, that, that last little old bitty, she didn't give us any money, nothing at all. I should have thrown her stuff on the ground right then on the spot. And the other one saying, that's not why we're here. We're not here to get money. We're here to, to do a service, to do a good deed. Yeah, I don't care about that. I'm making some dough out of this thing. Get my little tip, make me some money. Now, on the outside, they both looked like they were doing a good thing. But one of them, the motive was evil and it was wicked. God judges the heart. You could give your life to doing everything. You could dress right. You could talk right. You can do all of that. But if underneath it you're doing it to bring glory to yourself and for your own advancement and own purpose, it is a stench in the sight of God because it's not being done for his kingdom and for his glory. It's for yourself. And you already have your reward. Yeshua talked about that with some of the Pharisees of his day. Not all of them, but some of them. He says some of them, that they, they broaden their fringes and, and make them long, to, and, and they put on their phylacteries or tefillin and make sure they have giant boxes, like this big, you know, so everybody can see that they have, they have it on their forehead, fulfilling the scripture. I put it on my forehead. And they pray out loud. They like to be heard. And all their great prayers, and they're doing that so that they can get attention to themselves. And he gives a story of two guys, one a Pharisee and one a publican, which in those days, and I didn't say Republican, okay? I didn't say Republican, all right? I know somebody said, yeah, that's right, them Republicans, yep. You know, you do think that. But it was a tax collector, and, and the tax collectors weren't liked, just like we don't pretty much care about tax collectors today, but the tax collectors were taxing from their own people. And it's not so much just they were taxing, but they were cheating people in the taxes. The government says, okay, you know, in those days, the Romans say, okay, go tax each house 10%. And they'll say, no, I want 15%, and they keep five for themselves. 
And everybody knew that. So everybody hated the tax collectors. First of all, he was one of you. He was your buddy. He was your friend. He was your family member. And you knew he'd been cheating everybody and taking advantage of them because he's got a little power. And nobody liked him. But Yeshua uses it in the story. He says, there are two people. They go to pray. He says, the first one's a Pharisee. And he goes down and he prays and he says, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there because I pray three times a day. And I give my alms and I do this and I do that. And I'm such a wonderful person serving you, God. You're lucky you have me in your kingdom. I'm such a great guy. And then the other one comes in, and he goes to pray. He can't even lift his head towards, the, towards God. He just simply bows down on his face and says, Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner who's in need of salvation. And Yeshua says, the first guy, he's got his reward in this life, lifting himself up. But the other guy, his rewards are great and eternal, of an eternal nature. God looks deeply in the heart, people. He knows what's going on inside of there. I may not know. It's easy to fool me, I tell you. I can be fooled so easily. Ask my daughter, right? I can be fooled, right, right daughter? She says, yep, mm-hmm, that can be fooled. She can smile and turn on her little tears, and next thing you know, like, okay, you can have stuff with a horse. I haven't gotten a horse yet. <laughs> Still working on it, though. I know you haven't given up on that yet. But you can't fool God. You can't fool God. That's the thing to keep in mind. Even in Mark 3.29, Yeshua says that those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit are in danger of hellfire. See, God gets everything. You better be careful about speaking against the Holy Spirit, saying that it's demonic when it's of the Holy Spirit. Watch out. He didn't say that you were going to get it. He says you're in danger of hellfire. He didn't say the moment you did it, you're going to get hellfire. He said, but you're in danger of it. Don't play games with the Holy Spirit. Don't harden your heart towards the Holy Spirit. You're asking for trouble if you go that route. So it's important to know that, that that God is going to judge you based on the things that you do in this life. And his judgment is thorough. His judgment is complete in every way. Let's turn over the Revelation, the 20th chapter. Another example. Chapter 20, Revelation, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead would judge according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were, who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the de- dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. And then it ends with verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I'm not looking at all, there's a lot of dimensions of when these judgments take place. We're just really not going to get into all that. I want you to get the fact that there is a judgment. The judgment's real. You're going to have to give an account of that, and that judgment's based on this life. Life is not a rehearsal, okay? Those who are wicked will find them ways, thrown, as we just read. Those are not found written in the book of life are cast into a lake of fire. I'll take a little time for a little explanation on that. Just for a false doctrine that runs around. For those who have a a hard time with God's judgment being forever and ever and ever and eternal, where they want to say, well, yeah, no, God, he's such a good God. He he will never torment people forever and ever and ever. He he will just judge them and then then make them not exist anymore. And I, I argue with groups that teach that. I say, well, that's silly. So you you believe that when people die, they cease to exist. Yes, they cease to exist. So God at the end is going to raise them up simply to tell them they're going to go back to cease to exist. That's the whole purpose of it. They're like, "Um, well, 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 yeah. And I said, so you believe when Yeshua died, he ceased to exist. Of course, you know, he ceased to exist. His body was gone. I said, so how did he raise himself up if he ceased to exist? Because he says, I will raise this body up. Did he raise the body up or did he not raise the body up? Uh, uh, what the script, your scripture says he raised them up. Well, uh, uh, and they get all confused because they're believing doctrines of men and not the word of God. 
But one of the things I want to show you here, we'll get there, in Revelation. So at the end, right before the coming of Yeshua, it talks about the beast and his armies. Let's see if we can find this. Chapter 19 of Revelation. Verse 20, then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, Yeshua, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then it goes on and it talks about Satan being bound into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then it talks about things happening for those thousand years. And then we flow into that and we come out of that at the end of those thousand years, verse 7 of Revelation 20. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose numbers is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. Where the beast and false prophet are. Where the beast and false prophet are. Well, they, if, if the, well some people say, well, when they get thrown in the fire, they get all burned up, they don't exist anymore. Well, then they wouldn't be there anymore. But it says they're still there. They're still there in torment, waiting. And, and, and then here's another thing. Scripture says that this place, this lake of fire, was prepared for the devil and his angels. See, we got this idea that, you know, there's God in heaven with his beautiful heaven and clouds and pearly gates and, and angels with big white wings walking around, and, and it's all nice. And then we have this view, and then down the other elevator, if you push down and not up, did you go down into the pit of the earth where there's fire and hell and Satan sitting there on his throne? And that for eternity, God and Satan have been in battling, trying to win people to their place, and that they're equal. Some go to God and some go to Satan. That is so wrong. That's just baloney. God has no equal. He created all things, including Satan. Everything's going to be under his feet. He is master of all. There's none like him. There's no duality here of struggle between good and evil. There's only God who's in authority and power, and everything is going to be under him. Even Yeshua, as the God-man, is just waiting for everything to be put under his feet. Purge your mind of this idea of this duality. Satan's got a chain around him. He can't do whatever he wants to, only what God will allow him to do. And as far as the fiery place, it was prepared for him by God for his place of judgment. He ain't got any thrown down in hell, reigning and ruling and sending things out. Yes, he has a kingdom spread. He's a, of the air. He's moving around the air, the spirits of the air. But he's not sitting down in some place called hell with his pitchfork. Whenever you see him coming around, he's always showing up, like in the book of Job, with the rest of the angels kind of show up and walk up there. And God said, what are you doing here? Well, I've been running around on the earth to and fro, looking for stuff, seeking whom he could devour. So now think about this. If the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, and what are angels and devils? Spirits. It's a spiritual place for throwing people, spirits, in there. So if you're throwing the beast and the false prophet in there, why are you thinking it's a place you can dig down in the earth and find? Somebody said, well, then the bodies can't be in there. Hold on now. What happens with the resurrection? Your physical body is transformed into a body that's energized by the spirit so that it can move in the spirit rim and you have this spirit body forever that can be tossed into a lake of fire just like Satan can be tossed in a lake of fire and he doesn't get destroyed, but he's there forever under eternal judgment, forever. Where the false prophet are, still there, still under that, that suffering. 
And so that's why the scriptures are very much warning about entering into that place. You don't want to enter into that place. Not at all. God is very serious about that. And, 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 and our little squeezy emotional things that forgets that God is a consuming fire, it might make you feel good, but it's moving you away from the truth of the scriptures, and you might be doing your friends an injustice of watering it down for them. Tell them that it's, it's all right. I mean, for those of us who love the Lord, we will be with him, but the rest of you, you'll just cease to exist. And you won't have a life in the world to come. But that's not what the scripture says. You will be judged eternally forever and ever. And that's why it's such strong warning all throughout scripture. Thank you, Father. So we don't want to be cast into the lake of fire. And we don't want to have that kind of judgment. Turn over to Galatians 6 chapter. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that is that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. God will not be mocked. Some people say, well, I don't see his judgment coming. Well, Peter wrote about that. Peter said, well, yeah. Because he's long-suffering. God is long-suffering, giving people an opportunity to repent, giving us a chance to get off of our rear ends and go out and preach the gospel, share it with our neighbor, with our friends, with our family, with our work cohorts, getting bold enough to say, hey, I need to talk to you about eternity. I need to talk about what's going to happen to you. You won't be alive forever. You're going to have to give account of your life, and I'd like to give you a, a, a sure word of salvation in Yeshua. God's giving that space to give people opportunity to hear the message. But do not count God's holding back as slackness, as though he's forgotten. I remember when I was a kid, I'd do something really, really bad. I won't talk about all the bad things I did, but I would do something really, really bad. And my mom, you know, she would, if, if I talk sassy, my mom had a very fast backhand. She should have been a martial artist because her backhand was fast. And she was something because I, we had an old, big, old station wagon, you know, the kind of country squire with the big panels on the side. And I would be in there with my friends. And, and of course, with my friend, I started to act up because I got my friend there, right? So I'm acting up, saying silly stuff, doing stuff. My mom would say, stop. And I'm thinking I'm in the back seat. My friend's here. She can't get me. She's driving. So I keep going. But my mom had a way of taking that mirror and she sized you up. And see me, and I'll be going, blah, 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 smack. <laughs> I'll be like, whoa, what happened? And then my friend would laugh at me, and he'd smack, and she smacked him too. You could get away with that in those days. You could do that. But the worst thing is my mom did not do spankings. She did not get out the paddle and spankings. My dad administered all that. And so we got really bad, she would say the words that we feared the most. Wait to your father gets home. <laughs> Whatever we were doing bad, ceased and desist. And so I would try to be really nice. I would go and clean up the kitchen. I'd go out in the yard and find some flowers, put it in a vase, give it, Mom, these are for you because you're so pretty. And I'm just being as sweet as I knew how because I was hoping she would forget <laughs> what was said so that I wouldn't get the judgment. It never worked. <laughs> As soon as she came in, she went right to my father. Joe, I called you and told you these kids to get on my nerves, and Ralph did this. Ah! And the judgment would become. Well, God doesn't need to have somebody else, and you can be all cute and pretty, but if you haven't come to the way he will give you forgiveness, he's remembering what you did. And though he hasn't brought the judgment yet, don't think you've gotten away with it. He's just giving you some space to repent and turn around. So anyway, let's move on. Liars, murderers, etc., etc., shall not be allowed in God's kingdom. Oh, that's important. Mm-mm-mm. Let's look at Revelation 21:8 first. We'll start there. But the cowardly, 
the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I don't know how you can wiggle out of that. I think it's pretty straightforward. Revelation twenty-two fifteen. But outside, speaking of the heavenly kingdom, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practice a lie. They're outside of the holy city of God's kingdom. He doesn't allow them in. They're on the outside of it. Matthew 23, 14, even hypocrites will receive judgment. Yeshua says that they will receive the greater damnation for their pretense. See, the thing about hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy, a hypocrite, is one who wears a mask. They put on a mask. You know how they did in the old Shakespearean plays? If you're going to show, you have to play a role that showed you happy, you, you pull out your happy mask and had a happy face on it. And you walk around with that. Then when you had to show that you were angry, you pull out the angry mask. And you act, that's how they did acting in those days. You know, you put on a mask. That was a hypocrite. Someone who puts on a mask who's pretending to be something they really are not. It's not what some people think. Some people think that if you're a believer and, you, and, and you, you're preaching righteousness and then let's say you stumble for some reason and you repent of it, and, but somebody caught you while you're stumbling. Oh, you're a hypocrite. See, you said you didn't do that. You did that. You're a hypocrite. You're like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not trying to cover this up. What I did was wrong. I'm not putting a mask on. I am a follower of Yeshua. I love him, and I stumbled, and I confessed it, and I'm dealing with it, and he washes me, and he cleanses me. But a hypocrite puts on a mask and is always saying, I am holy, I am righteous, I'm good. When they know behind the mask, they're doing all kind of wicked things all the time. They're using religion for a purpose, for their own goals, not because they're really seeking to serve God. Well, Yeshua says concerning this, that they will receive the greater damnation. Romans 13 says that those who resist the ordinance of God shall receive damnation, condemnation, judgment. I've already talked about Mark 3.29, that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can make it, make it, it puts you in a place of being danger of eternal damnation, judgment. Let's look at two other passages, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, um, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I'm running out of space. So I'm just going to and the like. Because I had to mention everything. Who knows how long I'd have been writing. So and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice or do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no out on this one. I know there's a very popular pastor who tried to water this down some, and he's trying to say, well, what this really means is that, uh, uh, that those who live this, they just won't experience the goodness of the kingdom, but they will be in the kingdom. I said, that's not what it says. Come on now. I don't care how popular he was, and it, I don't want to mention him, but it, 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 I don't care if he's great popular. He was wrong. I wrote him. His book came out. I read the book. said, this is wrong. I got a book at home. I wrote him. Y'all want me to write? I wrote him. I've written a number of people that have stated stuff. And I'm like, nope, you got it wrong. And I gave them all the scriptures. They sent me a nice little letter. Thank you for your inquiry. Would you like to give to our ministry? I'm telling you what I got. So it's on him. He's heard. God will deal with that. I don't worry about it. 1 Corinthians 6 chapter, 6 chapter, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says to these Corinthians, and such were, were, were is a very important word, and such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua and by the Spirit of our God. Which brings us to the last point. If you put your confidence in the death, atonement, and resurrection of Yeshua, you will have eternal life. Not only at the judgment, but you can experience it now. Let's look at a few passages real quickly. John 3, we'll start with 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice that doesn't say, and you will have it in the future, but you will, but he's saying you have it now. Why? Because everlasting life is simply not simply about time, but it's the quality of what's been given to you. And when God, when God gives life to you, when he gives you chai, chayim, a zoe in Greek, when he gives that life to you, it is, it's, it's a nature of him giving waking you up and putting you in a different place so that everlasting life is not just, oh, I get to live a long, long time. Because I'm going to tell you, if you got a pain or a hurt or something you're trying to get rid of, you don't want a long, long time. I don't know about you. I'd be like, how long I got to keep doing this? You ever been like that? Got broken leg and you got the cast on, you can't play sports, and you just go to the doctor, can I get it off yet? How long I got to keep walking on? And the doctor turns and says, oh, you're going to have that for the rest of your life. Oh, who wants that? Thank God in the resurrection, there'll be no more weeping and crying because God will heal everything. The tree of life will be there for healing. Everything will be restored, and you have a glorified, resurrected body that can't die anymore and can't experience pain and suffering, just joy and peace, and can still eat. And I love that part. I'm just being real with you. You say, how do you know that? Because you're sure when he was raised up, he sat down and ate fish. Not only did he eat it, he prepared the food for them. Come on, let's all eat and have some fish. I just see what the scripture says. I'm like, oh man, that's going to be great. I, I could eat all the brownies I want. Just eat. And my ginger soda. <laughs> oh man, where's Cameron? Ginger soda, brother, all you want. Wings, brother. Wings. Hot sauce, all you want. Oh, man, that's going to be great. Cheesecake, somebody just said. Oh, my. <laughs> they got to have a cheesecake factory there. <laughs> Hallelujah. John 5, John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who has sent me has, not that will have, but has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Woo! Oh, this is a good promise. I'm loving this stuff. Romans 6, talks about the fruit that we have from the Lord. And part of that fruit, he says, in the end will be everlasting life. Romans 6, 23, it talks about the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. 1 John 2, 25, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And then 1 John 5, 13, boy, don't lose this one. One of the reasons he's writing to, him, writing to them is that they may know that they have eternal life. You should know you have eternal life. If you embrace the, the son of eternity, the, the, the son of man, the son of the living God who came to give you life, who's a life-giving spirit, 
It says in Corinthians, he's not from the dust of the earth, but he's from above, and he comes to give life to you. We need to learn to speak that life to each other. We need to remind each other of that life that he's given you. That's why when we're done with sickness and disease, no, we don't have all the answers to it. We don't always understand what's going on. But we should know that there's life that the Spirit gives to the mortal body. So you can pray that over somebody. I just pray that the Spirit of God will give life to your mortal body. That's one of the things I pray whenever somebody says, hey, I, I got a sickness, I got a disease. I say, Lord, give life to that body. Now, I know that body is on its way. The scriptures are very clear. The body is perishing. No matter how much makeup you put on it. No matter how much you wouldn't have your skin tightened, get a little Botox and try to get it all tightened up. No matter how many times you've done that. You can do all of that. Try to make it look younger. Get that little thing to stretch your head back, your eyes all going back. Somebody thinks that you look Asian now because your eyes are stretched all back because you stretch the skin back so that you look younger, you know? I mean, there's lots of stuff we do today to look younger. Some of you know good and well you have gray hair. That's okay. That's okay. You want to cover it up, let people think you're still in your 20s. We, we go with that. We understand. We, we got that. We got it. See? <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> I'll leave you alone, die. <laughs> We do, we try our best to make these bodies look good, and we should take care of these bodies. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should take care of them. We should eat right. We should exercise. We should do all the things that the organic people here have been trying to tell us to do. We should hear them every once in a while, just not to the extreme that they want us to go sometimes. Frankly, some of us cannot afford to pay for organic. It's just too much. Some of us rely heavily on, Lord, you provide this food for us, and we bless it, and we thank you for it, and we receive it as joy, and we ask God to give blessing. He does. But you do need to understand that from the time you were born, you started to die. Okay? From the time you were born, your body started to decay and die. It was not getting better. It's getting older, and it's running down. It's corruptible. It cannot go on forever. That's why we have the resurrection, because he's going to transform this body that's of corruption into something that's incorruptible. He's going to take this, this sense of you being immortal and turn you into immortality so you can live forever and ever. So we do want the resurrection to come. We do want the change to come. We know we're heading to the grave, but on the way there, with faith in our mouths, we can believe for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to give life to us. We can believe that through him, by his stripes, we were healed. We can believe for that. We can trust for that. We can grow our faith in that. Why just sit back and say, I'm just dying? No, by his stripes, I'm healed. His spirit gives life to me. I'll say that as I'm going down and they lower me down into the grave. His life, he's going to raise me up. That's what I'll be last at. I'll be my last preaching out. Y'all be lowering me down. I'll be going, he's going to raise me up. Y'all don't stay away too far because I'm going to be raised up out of here. Don't put a lock on the casket. Please leave it unlocked. Because I'm coming out of there. So we got to have faith in what he's promised us. And that will give life to you and strength to you to cause you to go on and to face the trials in this life. And God will work a miracle in our lives. You say, yeah, but people die. Yes, they do die. It says the point of the man wants to die in the judgment. It's a big deal about that. If we understand death, it's just walking out of this existence into another. Why do we have a hard time with that? You could be off in the spiritual realm now, except this body's dragging you back. But I like my body. Some of you like yours too. I like mine better. And I'm like, God, watch over this thing. Now, if I got to go the way of the ground, six feet under, so be it. I'm not worried about it. I'm not afraid of it. But as I said last week, Lord, I would love to be one of those. Maybe where I'm preaching. Also, we preach, and next thing we all are going up. We're like, oh, what's going on here? Transform. We're the shofar. We look back to see if it's Gail blowing the shofar. Well, it wasn't Gale. Maybe it's Ralph. You know, and we look at Ralph, and he's already going up. 
<laughs> we see him transformed. He's glorified. His body's glory. And he probably tried to carry his trumpet with him. I'm sure he, right, hold on, Lord, I got to bring it with me. <laughs> Want to join up with the rest of them? <laughs> I don't know. Here's what I do know. We don't know what we're going to be like, but we're going to be like him. And he was raised up in a glorified body, and we have the promise that we have a glorified body. So eternal judgment is real. Let your friends know. Let the Jehovah's Witness know. Tell them it's there. It's real. It's there. And people need to turn. Let your atheist friends know. And they might say, well, I don't even believe in God. It doesn't matter. Whether you believe in God or not, you will stand in judgment. You will stand in judgment. You will have to give account of your life. Well, I don't believe that. doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Your faith in that does not determine whether or not you are, are going to be at that judgment. You will be at that judgment. The question is, will you be at that judgment to go into life everlasting, or will you be at that judgment to go to life ever, for, for condemnation forever? Which one are you going to go in? And that's why I'm preaching to you. I'm not preaching to you so you can be resurrected. You're going to get that. I'm not preaching you so you, you can go at the judgment. You're going to get that. That's already in the package deal. You already get all that. But where you got a place to make a choice, are you going to embrace the one that Yeshua says, if you look to him, you have life everlasting? Yeah, I know people want to go in, but what if a believer doesn't live right? He doesn't do everything right? That's not my concern. I choose to believe God that he put your faith on the one that's lifted up on the stake up high. And if you look to him, you will be saved. That's where my faith is. I believe God in his testimony in that. I refuse to be like those in the wilderness who because of unbelief did not enter into the promised land, even though they saw the miracle, the signs, and the wonders. They had unbelief, and it brought them to a place of being disobedient because they didn't believe God. I believe God, period. And people try to trip you up on that. Well, I mean, do you do everything perfect? That's not my concern. My hope is in the resurrected Messiah. He gives life to me. He brings salvation to me. He is the one that forgives me. He is the one that takes my sins and then nailed with him on the cross and they're dealt with. He's the one that imparts life. He's the one that's leading me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. He is the one that causes me to do what is right and not do what is wrong. This is what Yeshua does in me. That's where my faith is. It's not even in myself. Not even in my knowledge, not in my teaching. I just rejoice in Yeshua, the resurrected Messiah who gives life to us. This is the foundation of our message. Yeah, we do lots of other stuff, and that's important to us. But if we lose the foundation of Yeshua as Lord of all, the only name under heaven by which men must be saved, then we are men most miserable. We are in a miserable place. Thank God we're not there. Thank God we're holding on to Yeshua. And every once in a while, we got to remind ourselves of that, that, that he is the center of who we are and our being and our living. Amen?